Welcome to the Funny Because It's True podcast. I'm your host, Kevin McGeehan. The show is recorded live every other Tuesday at 10 p.m. at the Second City Hollywood in Los Angeles, California. Storytellers are either predetermined or chosen randomly on the night of the show to tell a true story based on different themes. And this podcast is a mixed bag of some of my favorites. The theme of this episode is Surprise, Three Stories of the Unexpected. Kyle McGrath witnesses a man pop a misguided and expensive question. Sam Firestein has his world turned completely upside down. And I tell the story of a guy I like to call Boner Move. But let's not dawdle. First up, Kyle McGrath. Uh, I have worked in the service industry for a lot longer than I ever thought I was going to work in the service industry. Uh, I've worked in bars in college where I've seen a girl who was 21 years old with a uh, little tiara lay down, throw up in the air, have the vomit, come back down on her face, look up at me and say, I'm a princess. Uh, I... I also worked in Florida at Disney World where I watched a guy on a date uh, pee himself in khaki pants, realized that he peed himself, and got out of there as fast as possible, leaving his girlfriend or date behind, uh, which I'm assuming is embarrassing for him. But uh, for five years, I worked for the Yard House, which uh, I don't know if you guys know what that is. It is if the Cheesecake Factory uh, had a Southern California bro version of the Cheesecake Factory. (laughs) Um, so, it's really, there's some nice, there's some nice entrees that are there, um, but, uh, for a while I worked at the one in Kansas City, uh, right across from the newly built Kansas City Speedway racetrack, which brought in quite a crowd of people. Um, the first week we were open, there was a guy there that, uh, was upset because we didn't have Coors on tap. And we sold cheeseburgers for $10 and had no idea how a business could stay open with those two things on your menu. So one night I was working, and uh, there was a couple that was sitting at a table, a guy in a John Deere hat, jeans, and a T-shirt with his girlfriend there, uh, scantily clad, but nice young lady. Uh, Now, uh, the Yard House actually has on the menu uh, Dom Perignon. And that night I sold my first bottle of Dom P at the Kansas City Yard House to this gentleman. Um, He orders it, and he he looks pretty proud of himself for ordering it. And I go up to my manager, and you have to get it cleared with the manager before you order it. And uh, So he brings it back, and he looks at the guy, and he's like, well, all right, I guess guess we're selling this tonight. Uh, The... The guy, the guy follows his wonderful order of Dom Perignon with chicken fingers and a chicken enchilada stack. <laughs> because he's going out tonight, right? So I'm kind of wondering, like, why is this guy buying this $185 bottle of champagne? Tonight's the night that he decided he is going to propose to his girlfriend at the yard house in a strip mall across from the Kansas Speedway. So, uh, if you've ever seen any kind of proposal happen in public, it makes quite a scene. He gets down on one knee while his girlfriend sits in my booth and pops the question. And all these people around him, every, pretty much this half of the restaurant stops and stares, and they're watching. And unfortunately, it does not work out for him. 
his girlfriend is offended, stands up, walks out, and leaves. And he's sitting there by himself. And the worst timing was that I had to stick by yard house service standards, which are after a minute or one bite of the food being dropped at the table, you have to go back and check on the table. So... The story is not embarrassing for me, but for this poor gentleman, because I see his world just crushed. <laughs> and my question to him is, did the chicken fingers come out okay? <laughs> at that point in time, he looks at me, and every 90s sitcom uh, closing line of check please like popped in my brain of every scene of those. And I just look at him, and I go, I'll go box these up. If you want to finish that bottle... It's okay. And that's the end of his heartbreaking story. <laughs> Next up, Sam Firestein. Her name is Genevieve, and the first time I ever saw her, I was 20 years old. I'm at a party. She was on the other side. She was talking to this other guy, and I just, like, I just stormed right up, and I patted the guy on the shoulder and started talking to her because, uh, you know, I, like, I had to. She was breathtaking. She had this like creamy white gold skin and hazel eyes and this beautiful smile, and uh, within six months, we were living together. Because, you know, I was 20, and that's what happens when you're that young. And we were in love, and it was burning, and, you know, it was a first for both of us. Because it was like I'd never met anybody like her before. You know, she was an artist, and her paintings had won awards, and she traveled with her art, and she made her own clothes, and she was teaching herself French, and she was a gourmet cook. Like, name it. Like, she was amazing. And, uh, you know, and we were, like, this was it. Like, we were convinced. Like, we, this is we're done. Like I found her and, uh, and we talk like it too. We were, uh, I wanted us to get married at the beach and she knew about this all glass chapel on the North coast that overlay was on a bluff and it looked over the ocean. And I'm like, that's perfect. And her mom loved me and had said, well, you guys get grandma's China, which was, um, I mean, we lived on futons, but it was really important that we had, like, our china all worked out. Like, you know, this was, like, a big deal. And we were like, oh, good, we got our china. We don't have a table, but we've got our china. And uh, the only thing we really ever uh, argued about was kids. Because I wanted, I wanted five kids. I wanted a lot. Well, I came from this really bad, small family, and I just wanted my house to always feel like a party, and I thought five kids would be awesome. <laughs> and she's looking at me like, you're a blithering idiot, and if you think that I'm going to like force five like little football versions of you out of my body, you're out of your freaking mind. Like, and and we, we argued about this a lot, because it, it was like a joke. We were kids, and we knew. We're like, well, it's all going to work out, but it was funny. It was really, really funny. Until we found out that I already had a kid. Uh, which, uh, yeah, nah, it stopped being funny really quick. Whenever you find out, like whenever anybody finds out they have a kid, it's a really dramatic event. And, uh, but when you press play on your answering machine and you hear, My sister just had the baby. I'm coming for you. You're going to take responsibility followed by a weeping girl who's babbling something you can't really make out very well, but she's presumably the mother, then followed again by another message from the brother 
who rattles off your address and enough private information about you that you, you know, it's like it's not a wrong number. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm standing there, and I'm just like, ah, it's a joke. It's a joke. It's a joke. It's got to be a joke. It needs to be a better be a joke. And I called all my friends, and uh, nobody knew what I was talking about. So I called back my three worst offenders, uh, Rusty, Andrew, and Scott, because uh, I, knew, I knew one of them was behind this. It had to be a joke. And I hammered them. And both Rusty and Andrew just swore to me up and down. They're like, we do not know what this is. And then I finally got Scott on the phone, and I begged him. I just pled with him, tell me this is a joke. And he said, I'm sorry, man, but I swear to you, I promise I don't know anything about this. So it's not a joke. Like, I've got a kid. I've, <laughs> I've got a kid. I'm a father. And Genevieve is standing behind me with her arms crossed, wondering just how had I managed to become a father 10 months into our relationship? Hmm, yeah. Well, Yes, we'd been dating for 10 months, but we'd only been together for eight. <laughs> and technically, I hadn't cheated. Technically. The, uh, uh, like nine months to the day earlier, I'd come home from work on a Saturday and uh, found uh, Bernadette sitting on my couch with my roommate, Paul. Bernadette was a girl I'd been dating previous to Genevieve, and uh, it's also, this is just coincidentally how I found out that uh, my roommate, who I'd known since first grade, had, once I started dating Genevieve, had been going through my phone book when I was at work, calling girls I used to date and trying to sleep with them, which is a uh, good effort on his part, uh, <laughs> you know, and when, Gen when, when Bernadette got the phone call, she was like, well, she came over because she would wanted to know what had happened to me because I just disappeared. And uh, that same night happened to be my boss's Halloween party. And right before we, Genevieve and I were supposed to leave for it, Gen I called Genevieve, said I'm on my way, and she goes, I can't go. I'm still too sick and hungover from... She'd gone to Santa Barbara the night before for Halloween, and she couldn't go. And I was livid because our costumes were like this matching, goofy stuff that you do, and it was like, I just, I lost it. And... Uh, Bernadette had left her phone number sitting on my pillow with a little lipstick kiss. And I called her. And I went. And made the biggest mistake of my life. And, uh, you know, I'd never been in love before. I'd never been with anybody before. And, uh, and it was all new territory. And I just hated myself for it. And I just knew. I knew... I could never tell Genevieve, and the only thing, it, like, it didn't make it okay, but the only things I had going for me that, that I tried to reconcile it with myself was the fact that I, I was, we hadn't committed, and we also, we hadn't slept together yet, and I just told myself, this makes it passable, you know, and, uh, but you try explaining that to a girl who loves you in depths and ways that you, she can't articulate, you know, a girl that you live with, a girl whose virginity you took. 
and it was like watching somebody die. She just folded in on herself. She just, she just, like, it was like I kicked her in the gut. She let out this big breath, and her hands went into these little fists, and she was, like, mumbling, and I couldn't make out what she was saying. And when she finally looked up, she just, she said, I'm leaving. And she did. And she went downstairs to uh, this girl, Pam, Scott's girlfriend. Pam lived in our building. It's actually how we found the apartment. And she spent the night with Pam. And I just spent the night, like, sick to death, worried. I just destroyed the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And now I had a kid. And I didn't know how I was going to pay for diapers and school and insurance and everything else. And, and then it hit me. I was like, oh, my God, Bernadette. And so I looked for my, her phone number. And I couldn't find it. So I called my old roommate, Paul. And he's like, eh, I, got your, I got her phone number out of your phone book. So I just had to spend the night writhing like smoking myself sick, waiting for the brother to call. And uh, sometime around dawn, uh, Genevieve came back, and we're just sitting there staring at each other in that like horrible, horrible silence. And, uh, and the phone rang, and my heart dropped because I knew it was the brother, and I answered it, and, uh, and it turned out it was actually Scott. And he goes, Dude, I just spoke to Pam. Like, what happened? What is this? Like, she says, you guys are breaking up, and Genevieve's moving out. What's going on? I said, dude, I told you. I told you. I have a kid, and she's breaking up with me, and my whole life is ripping apart. And he goes, it's a joke, man. It was just a joke. <laughs> it was a joke. It was a, <laughs> it was a joke. You got me. Wow. Yeah. Even funnier? Even funnier. Genevieve knew it was a joke. <laughs> Scott had called her and told her what he was doing. And when I finally got her on the phone a couple days later, she told me, uh, she said, I knew it was a joke, but uh, when you got scared, I knew something was wrong and I needed to know. And she found out. Finally, me, Kevin McGeehan. The other day, I watched a DVD that I have never been able to watch in the six years that I have had it in my possession because it was too uh, gut-wrenching, too emotional for me. Here's basically what happened. Back in 2006, my mother was diagnosed as terminal and given six months to a year left to live, and she asked me to come home and take care of her, at which point I said yes that I would. In the time that I lived with her, which was five months, we knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that she was not going to make it. It was not if, it was when. So with that, it became a very strange mental exercise of how do you stay up when you know that there's a big down coming? So what we did was, she was always very optimistic and she was just, she could find the good in many situations. And in this one, what we decided to do was give her a party, a big end of her life party that we were going to invite all these people to. And it was going to be the culmination of her life. I was going to perform in it. I had a bunch of heavy hitter friends from Second City from Chicago who were going to come down and they were going to help me with this thing. And long story short, we got to it. And it was an absolutely amazing night. She enters to this room where all of her friends, there were 100 people that just jumped to their feet and they gave her a standing ovation when she came in and she got to watch uh, me do these songs that I had written. I introduced the room to each other after I had had her write down facts about each person and then I let everyone know about each other in the room. I showed some slideshows and it was an absolutely magical night. And then something happened. At one point, I opened it up to the floor 
to let people say things to her. One of the people that said something said something so wrong that they warrant a nickname that I will refer to them as for the rest of this story. So Boner Move grabs the microphone. And Boner Move and I used to know each other in high school. We were friends in high school, and we were always funny together. We were kind of the nerds that would say things in the background. Uh, uh, We were uh, John Cusack in uh, Sixteen Candles, like those weirdos. And um, so then now we're adults, and he is at this party as well. And uh, he grabs the microphone, and he says, Patty, my mother's name, um, Kevin and I were in drama together. We did many different shows together, and Kevin was fantastic in these shows. He always soared in these shows. These are his words, not mine. <laughs> Kevin was fantastic in these shows. And, um, but I think the truth should be told now that Patty would come up to me after shows and say, Kevin was good. But boner move, you were great. And it got a huge laugh, a tremendous laugh in the room. So much so that he rode the wave of that laugh and was able to repeat the line again. Kevin was good, but boner move, you were great. And now what he should have done at this point was quit. But he decided to take it one step farther because, like I said, we were funny together in high school, and I think he just got, like, crack addicted to this laugh, and he wanted more, so he chose this route. Now, Patty, I think you should know that myself, another guy, another guy, another guy, when we were in high school, we all thought you were a MILF. Now... Here are some things you need to know. She's about to die. (laughs) Two, she was a very prudish lady. Uh, My father and she divorced when I was 10 years old. And so ever since I was 10 years old, that was it. No more for Patty. She couldn't say the word penis. A few times when she tried to give me the sex talk, she couldn't get through penis. So she's not a real sexual lady. So he says, we all thought you were a MILF. And it doesn't get the laugh he feels it so justly deserves. So he takes it one step farther. Let's watch it now. That your mother is a MILF, okay? And, and it's not just me, and this name, these names aren't going to mean anything to, to the rest of you, but I need to let you know. Let know. Now, and, I let, and Patty needs to know, Milton, Fred, and Sean agreed with me. Kevin's mother is a MILF. And we didn't have the heart to tell Kevin. But the truth is, and, and please, if you have children, cover your ears. Teenage boys wanted to fuck you. Now, now please, I know, I know that's creepier than the twin story, but that is the truth. And Patty, you need to know that. Okay? You do. 
and I do. Kevin, I'm sorry. Okay, let me continue. Um, British office uncomfortable. But the rest of the party went great. <laughs> and it was a beautiful event. And it was a thing that my mother and I shared. And it was fantastic. And then eight days later, as I was holding her hand, she passed away. And she was able to pass away with the knowledge that she was beloved. And that... When she needed help, a lot of people came out to help her. And she also knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, at one point in her life, teenage boys wanted to fuck her. That's it. That's our show. Special thanks to our storytellers, Kyle McGrath and Sam Firestein. Also thanks to Josh Callahan. Mark Warzeka, The Second City Hollywood, and the Comedy Podcast Network for producing the show. You can like Funny Cause It's True on Facebook to find out upcoming show dates and themes. All the past episodes are available for free download on the Comedy Podcast Network and iTunes. While on iTunes, feel free to leave a rating and a comment about the show. The more comments help the show grow to a broader audience on iTunes, plus it appeases my staunch desire for approval and acceptance. If you would ever like to see the live show, Funny Cause It's True is every other Tuesday at 10 p.m. at the Second City Hollywood, located on historic and morally corrupt Hollywood Boulevard. So come out, put your name in contention, and maybe you'll get chosen to tell a true story on stage, and from there, get chosen to be on the podcast. My name is Kevin McGeehan. Thanks for listening. receive this transmission from the Comedy Podcast Network. For more shows, visit comedypodcastnetwork.com.